And okay, so maybe you didn't have a unicorn exit, but you had a good enough exit that you landed the, the, the airplane safely with a good company and you, and you sort of, you did it, you ran it, you, you did that game. In fact, you even at one point used the phrase, I played that game. And I have a feeling that there's this awareness that there's perhaps something even more powerful that's available to you, which is to look at this next act of your life, not just your entrepreneurial life, but your next life, where the joy is integrated with the competition. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I am Dan Putt. Walking up Broadway that day in March 2007, I couldn't stop thinking of the big question I was about to ask. What should I build next? The cool early spring breeze ran across my face. Taxis honked in the distance at a car stuck in the light. And a herd of humans pushed me across 19th Street, which snapped me out of my daydream. I was on my way to my first ever coaching session with Jerry, someone I barely knew anything about except what I was able to Google, but certainly someone I was sure would answer this big question for me. What should I do next? I had moved to New York five months earlier, really in need of a major life reset, one that could both hold meaning and magnitude. My mom had died 15 months earlier, and my life had changed. I knew I could never return to the work I was doing before. I knew I could never return to the way of being that I was before. It was time for what felt like a second act. One where I could merge my entrepreneurial energy with a drive for meaning and purpose that I had really felt following my mom's passing. And I had the freedom to create. But it felt like a burden. I couldn't just do something. I had to do something that really mattered. And that burden and the question attached to it is what led me to that corner, 19th and Broadway, walking to my first meeting with Coach Jerry. I had it all planned out in my head. I'd sit down and say, Jerry, what should I build? What should I do next? And he'd give me the answer and he'd give me a map to there. It didn't go that way at all. Looking back on that time, I really can appreciate how hard it was for me and how intense it was. It was filled with so many complex feelings, grief, excitement, freedom, terror, confusion, guilt. And I was hopeful and sure that all of those feelings would just go away once I figured out what to do next. But instead of exploring that directly with Jerry, we spent years, and I mean years, exploring and learning more about the who behind the question. I used to just think that if I could figure out the what I was doing, then the who I was would be figured out too. But Jerry flipped the script on me. I can now see that the what to build question was not going to be answered until I answered this question first. The question that actually led me to where I am today. Who am I ready and wanting to become? Jason Jacobs is working on his own second act. His founder and former CEO of the very awesome and popular app, Runkeeper. He certainly knows what it takes to build a popular product and company. 
After the company was acquired and he left the organization earlier this year, he found himself excited and burdened by a common question. What should I do next? In this conversation with Jerry, Jason and Jerry explore his path to now, the conflict he holds between happiness and fulfillment. And like me, he comes away with a new question. Who does he want to become? What kind of man, father, and leader does he want to bring into this world? Enjoy. My colleague Andy Christinger often compares the role of people ops leaders to that of minister or priest in a faith community. As a former pastor himself, he sees in the leaders we work with that their time and energy are spent thinking about things like how to support individuals in their own development, how to be there for people during their tough times, and how to cultivate a healthy and vibrant organization. Unfortunately, the other similarity he sees between the two roles is the danger for burnout. Here's the key question. Who helps the helpers? Who takes care of the caretakers? We created the Fall Reboot Weekend for HR and People Ops leaders, which is happening October 27th through 29th in San Francisco, to provide a place where those who are tasked with leading healthy organizational communities can come together in a safe space to focus on their own leadership growth. Here's one of our People Ops Circles alumni, John Greenfield, talking about his experience. I'm John Greenfield, and I lead people operations and business development here at Psychic. So the Circle's experience as a whole has been great. I feel like I've met a number of people that I wouldn't have otherwise and have incredible insight to share. One of the neat things is that bringing all these people together in, in similar roles, and it's been neat to see how really how much of a connection you can feel with, with people over a short period of time. And I think that's grounded in the fact that the circles were designed in a way that people who have similar experiences and are facing similar challenges are brought together. So it's sort of like we, we already had a common language that we, were, that we were speaking. Are you a people ops leader who'd love some time to focus on your own growth? Or perhaps you're saying to yourself, I can't have needs or challenges. It's my job to take care of others' problems. Wherever you happen to be, you don't have to do this alone. Join us for the fall weekend in San Francisco. To apply, go to our website, reboot.io slash circles. That's reboot.io slash circles. Hey, Jason, it's great to see you. And thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jerry. And uh, great to finally meet you as well. So take a minute uh, uh, and just introduce yourself to us. Well, my name is Jason Jacobs, and uh, I've been dreaming about being an entrepreneur for a long time. And then in 2008, I finally started a company called Runkeeper, uh, built it up over about nine years, and then uh, raised several rounds of equity financing. We were acquired in early 2016, I stayed on for about 15 months uh, post-acquisition, left uh, couple months ago, and, uh, and now I'm free and reflecting on the grueling ride that we had uh, and excited to you know, really take this time not only to rest and recharge, but also to be introspective about the journey and about, um, about looking forward as well. So you, uh, you know, hit for the cycle, as they say in baseball, right? You, you, 
you, you wanted to become an entrepreneur, you became an entrepreneur, you found a way to get the business launched, you found some co-founders and, and that core team, and then you exited and worked for the acquirer for a while. And so what brings you to the podcast? Uh, well, I got introduced to the, to the podcast through, I think it was through my friend, Ben Rubin, mm -hmm. uh, who had been on the podcast, gosh, probably a couple years ago now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been a, a, a listener of the podcast for quite a while and, and also uh, an observer of um, how transformational your programs have been from a distance. Uh, and when I was first introduced, uh, we were actually in a period of great turbulence. Uh, and so I, I wasn't sure from a timing standpoint when the right time would be to come on the podcast. Um, but now that uh, I landed the plane and uh, stuck around on the other side to make sure that it, that it went through maintenance and, uh, and that, it's, mm -hmm. that it checked out and it's ready to keep flying. Um, and, uh, and then I, I stepped away as a pilot. Um, and to stick with the analogy, I uh, think this is actually a great time to um, you know, kind of bring you into my introspection journey and, and get some, some seasoned counsel as I'm working through um, both, you know, kind of the, the, the physical journey that I, I, I went through, but also just the, the emotional journey and start to sort through what that means as I look to the future. Okay. So I'm going to ask an infamous question that I often ask. You ready? I'm ready. Let me have it. How are you? I'm well. Uh, yeah. Go slow. Go slow. Check in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's been an evolution where um, the, uh, I mean, it was a nine-year ride. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and during that time, uh, there were some really exciting and kind of frothy times uh, and there were some really turbulent and dark times as well, both for the company, but also personally. And, uh, and then to yeah, to come out of that and get the company on more stable footing and then, you know, have a viable path forwards and rebuild the leadership team and, and find a, uh, you know, a great home um, and a, and just a solid outcome all around was, was kind of a, a mind trick, um, mm. given uh, you know how how turbulent some of the turbulent days were, and so just stepping away from there um, and digesting everything that that I've been through and that the company's been through and that my family's been through is a lot, and and so I'm definitely taking my time as I'm kind of piecing piecing those pieces together and, and making sense of it all. So. What would be helpful for you to explore at this point? Uh, well, like one, it's 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 interesting because so along the way, I, I talked to some executive coaches here and there, and I think there was a spectrum. There were some that um, that were very focused on you, and there were others that were very and, and kind of the psychology of entrepreneurship and of being a human. Uh, and then there were others that were very focused on the mechanics of operating a company and, uh, you know, managing a board and building a leadership team and, and going through strategic planning and, and things like that. And, and my bias was always towards company, company, company. And I thought like, you know, someone can look inside my head some other time once I'm, once I've landed the plane. And, um, 
I love entrepreneurship and I'd like to keep doing it for a long time, but I didn't necessarily do it in a sustainable way during the, the nine year journey that I came from. And I'm also in a very different place personally where uh, I had a girlfriend when I started Runkeeper and now I have a wife and, a, and two kids. Uh, and, and so as I kind of venture to start another company, which I'll very likely do, um, I'd like to make sure that I can do it in a way that not only will give the company every probability of success, but also keep myself and my family together and kind of give everything in my life what it needs and, and not just the company. Okay. So you've listened to the podcast, so you know, Jerry, a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to slow down even more. Okay. Here's what's going on. I can barely breathe. I can barely, because there's this like, there's this intense thing that's starting to build. Yeah, now you just took a breath. Thank you. Now I can breathe. Yeah. So there were some dark times. There were some turbulent times. You started Runkeeper and you had a girlfriend who's now your wife and the mother of your children. I'm looking at you and you've got a touch of gray, maybe even more than a touch of gray. I'm going to venture that you're in your late 30s, early 40s. 41. Yeah, see? And so there's that. And so you were just in your 30s when you started this other business. Just yeah. turned the yeah, corner. I, yeah, I just turned the corner. And, and, and been thinking about being an entrepreneur for so long, and it was so hard to get the stars to align to finally pull the trigger for a multitude yeah. of reasons. Um, that, so what uh, is it yeah. that you're afraid? I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, Jason, because what happens is you start to speed up. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we're going to do is we're going to slow you down. And you started to tell me about these other coaches that you had worked with, and some were focused on sort of the performance and the leadership aspects of it, and some of it were like trying to get into your head. And um, what is it that Jason wants in this moment? What do you want? Well, well, something I I wrestle with is um, is the the difference between – uh, f- fulfillment and happiness uh, because I, I associate fulfillment with creation and impact uh, and the journey of creation and impact is quite a grueling journey that doesn't necessarily bring uh, in the moment happiness along the way uh, and reconciling those things. Um, and there's, there's a different ways that that manifests itself. Uh, and there, so what I want to reflect back is what I'm hearing is that there's a wish to reconcile the pursuit of fulfillment and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. yeah. Because there's a construct that you're holding based on your experience at Runkeeper that to the pursuit of fulfillment is grueling. And maybe that's another word for unhappy provoking. Yeah, I think, I think it was definitely started from a place of passion and, and love, both for what we were building and for the game. Uh, but along the way, uh, it got to a place where it, it really became a burden. Uh, and for 
not not the whole time um and, and we have, and i eventually pulled out of that and it got back to um starting to feel more like it did in the early days but that middle period was a dark period and it lasted quite a while so what is it you want to have happen in this next go around because now we're entering your second act yeah and, yeah and there's a whole so, psychology psychological implications of of that in 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 multiple dimensions this is one of those moments where i wish the audience could actually see the video because what happened as soon as I said this phrase, you like, ooh, you reacted. So Jason, you're on your second act. Yeah. I am. I am. Well, not yet. I'm in intermission, but, but the second act hopefully will be starting at some point uh, in, in the coming months, I'll say. I've given no timelines, but, but there yeah. will be a second act. There, right. there will so, be, so, I can say so that. Slow down. There will be a second act. What is it you want in that second act? Uh, I, will, I would like to uh, have the stamina and emotional intensity to dream big and work incredibly hard in the pursuit of that dream without getting myself to a bad place physically or mentally that negatively impacts my well-being or that of my family. Yeah. That's why you're on the call. Yeah. That's what's really, there's a deeper, deeper wish here. And notice what's, what's happening inside of your body right now. What's happening inside your heart as we're naming this. Uh, it's, there's like a, a tension being, being released a little bit. It still needs to be released more as you can see, but I'm at least loosening up a little bit. Yeah. There's a softening that's happening from the outside. I can feel it. I can see it. So the wish is to be able to have the same kind of intense, passionate ride of fulfillment without putting yourself and your family through the grueling pain that you experienced the first time the dark turbulent times yeah back to that tension of of fulfillment and happiness i would like to be able to experience the fulfillment without being so unhappy yes yeah so the the second act challenge isn't merely figuring out what large entrepreneurial problem to solve in the world and thereby hopefully create some sort of beautiful exit, some landing place down the line, even if it means the company continues to operate ad infinitum and just makes money, never going public if necessary, whatever it is, whatever that definition of success would be in this next iteration. But the real wish in this second act is to live your life somewhat differently where you can reconcile both the wish for that passionate pursuit without the unhappiness. Am I naming this right? I think so. I I think that, that because, you know, I have, I guess what, what would be considered a win under, under my belt. And I have some financial flexibility and, and freedom, which means that I don't, it, it needs, not that it didn't need to be about the right reasons before, but it really needs to be about the right reasons now. So it's not a foot race to 
make lots of compromises and sacrifices and then grind myself knowing that there's an out. It, it's more of setting out on a long journey with no timeline where the journey is the, is the destination. And the only way to do that is if things are in harmony in all aspects of my life and well-being, mental and physical, not just uh, the company. And the, the, it was the company at all costs for the last nine years, which, which is not healthy. Right. So I'm going to get intellectualized and conceptualized a little bit, and then I'm going to take us right back. Uh, in Buddhism, we often talk about the fact that the pursuit of happiness, that buried within the pursuit of happiness is our own undoing. Because the pursuit of happiness um, leads us to create a sense of attachment. It leads us to create a sense of, of um, a kind of mindlessness in pursuit of that thing, that goal, that becomes our undoing. And so what we strive for, what the teachings strive for, is the pursuit of equanimity and balance, and that happiness becomes a byproduct of. Hmm. So that's just a concept. We're going to put that to the side for a moment. Take me back to Runkeeper. Are you a runner? Uh, I, I am a runner. I'm an injured runner now, uh, but I... It's one of those things where um, running picked up the slack when I stopped playing team, team sports competitively as a way to stay in shape, but it grew into a love over time. What did you love about running? Uh, for, for me, it, it, I, it, as you can probably tell, uh, I, my, I, I, I used to own a, a motorcycle when I, when I was younger and it was a, it was a Ducati and, and it, it only seemed, the engine only seemed to be happy when it was accelerating. Uh, I'm kind of wired that way. Um, okay. where, yeah. Does a Ducati care where it's going? No. Ducati just wants to go. Yeah. Just, just, just wants to go. It, the engine purrs when it's moving quickly, but it's up to you to make sure that you don't drive it into a ditch. Got it. So, yeah. um, What's the difference between running by yourself in the back roads? I know you're in Massachusetts in the back roads or even, uh, you know, on the side of the Charles. What's the difference between running on the side of the Charles and playing a, a team competitive sport? I think for me, the team competitive sport was gripping. It was thrilling. It, it was camaraderie. It, it was. It must have been fulfilling. Yeah, it was really fulfilling, but running is totally different than than that. For for me, there are aspects you can get in that mode if you're training yeah, for a race. Or, but but it's it's spiritual. It's happiness. Yeah, yeah it's where it's it's when I'm when I'm in the groove and I have the endorphins flowing. That's when I feel the most alive. I, I would say the the healthiest, the happiest, the most alive. Right. So you yeah. see what I'm drawing out here. There's something super competitive, some, something super fulfilling about a team competitive sport that um, is, is fulfilling, it, that, is, that, that, that meets some powerful needs within you. And there's something really joyous in being by yourself, maybe with just a headset. It's sunset. 
It's early fall. It, you're on the Charles. The wind is coming. It's a beautiful temperature. And you've gotten that pace. And your heart rate is where it needs to be. And you are happy. And I want to bring your attention to this wish to actually bring both of those together. We bring both of those together, not by forcing those pieces together. We bring both of those together by honoring both sides of it. There's something powerful about competing to win when you were building Runkeeper. And okay, so maybe you didn't have a unicorn exit, but you had a good enough exit that you landed the, the, the airplane safely with a good company and you, and you sort of, you did it, you ran it, you, you did that game. In fact, you even at one point used the phrase, I played that game. And I have a feeling that there's this awareness that there's perhaps something even more powerful that's available to you, which is to look at this next act of your life not just your entrepreneurial life, but your next life, where the joy is integrated with the competition. Mm-hmm. Am I naming this right? Yeah, I, I think I, I was, I almost actively stamped out joy uh, during, during uh, p- points of time building the company. Um, because I viewed joy as a, as a distraction um, and was just really militant about uh, and maniacal about focus, my wish is that there's a way to be maniacal about focus and filled with joy um, and that those blend together in a happy place. And, and that's, that's not just speaking professionally, but, but really in it. I'm not looking at it strictly through a professional lens. It's, it's, it's my life. It's, it's not, it's not my company life. Do you, yeah. 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 Because uh, you know, what I just wrote down here is he must've been a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but I wasn't an active participant at, 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 at many, at, at some points I was, but at some points I, I became almost removed from the, from the joy. I, you know, when the, when the joy was happening around me, I would be in a corner with my headphones on, uh, focused and, um, and, and actually I didn't view joy as productivity inducing. And I, I think that that's a, if, if utilized the right way, it, it can be productivity in, inducing and it, it just makes for more happiness and, and, ha- and then happiness leads to more productivity as well. Right. Right. So intellectually, yeah. all that's true. I want to hang yeah. out a little bit with more of the emotional side of this. So, I'm going, to, I'm going to use a couple of words, and, and, and you tell me how you react to these words. Okay. Um, this is me describing Jason. He's focused. He's productive. He is like a military leader. He's just, he sees the goal, and he goes for it, and he doesn't let things stand in his way. How's it feel when it? Yeah. The, the the first two definitely fo- uh, focused and and productive. The last one, um, although I discru- although I didn't let myself experience joy, I I I tried to be quite a 
mission-driven leader. And so the I, I forget the, the phrase, but the one about um, if you want to get a boat built, don't don't teach a man how to build a boat, but but teach him to yearn for the for the magic of the sea. It was it was so. So you were trying like, to be inspiring, yeah, other people to be driven and give them the joy of following their inspiration. Yeah, the, the, the military is the, the only, the aspect of military I, I envision iron fist, and there's definitely no, no iron fist in my, my leadership style, um, but, but maniacal focus for sure. Um, what did your dad do for a living? Uh, he worked in sales and sales management in, and general, general management of small businesses in the printed circuit board industry. And did mom work? Mom worked in uh, health insurance. Yeah, so a broker and, and also on the, on the insurer side. Were either of them focused and productive? Yeah, uh, both in, in different ways. I, I think um, my, my mom was the more balanced of the two where she put in her hours at work and she did a lot of client service and making sure people were happy, kind of a, a nurturer and a, and a caretaker. Um, both at home and professionally, and then was very active with carpools and pick school pickups and 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 things like that. Um, my my father um, uh, worked himself to the bone and traveled to, to several different states in any given week, and lived on airplanes and came home exhausted at the end of the week, and really just um, kind of ran himself into the ground uh, consistently over long long periods of time. What word did you just use? Uh, ran. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was, how much joy did dad have? Uh, dad, dad, dad had joy. Uh, yeah, he, 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 he definitely had joy. He, um, I think it didn't, because uh, he was working for others and not, uh, on his own, I don't know that he felt the same stress that comes with entrepreneurship. And I think that that was probably the stress was probably the single biggest joy killer for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so he did, I think, feel joy, but physically he, uh, I mean, he, he put his, he put his stamina to the test. Well, you said he, he drove himself to the bone or something. Yeah, I mean, I would remember he would come home after long trips and he would just kind of stagger into the office and stagger up the steps and go to bed. And he was carrying this big, he had the, I remember the, the, um, yeah. the suit carriers that hang to one side and he yeah. probably had the, the suitcase cell phone with him. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, the reason I, I, I often go there is that some of our first models of what does it mean to work get formed in childhood as we're watching mom and dad go off, as we're watching our, pair, our caregivers, however they identify. And we start to internalize, what does it mean? And I think that, you know, we, we won't have time to completely work through the pieces here, but my, my quote unquote, I think you asked for sage counsel at some point. My counsel here is, to really spend some time with these internalized archetypes of focus and productive, driven, and 
uh, the how mom represented in some ways a more balanced and integrated approach. All right, I just had this vision of of you staggering home to your children, hmm. and do you really want to convey to them the thing that your father conveyed to you? My sense is no. You want to be you want to experience the joy of running without necessarily the focus, or you want to experience the joy of the Ducati engine humming without caring so much about the destination. Yet, knowing where you're going and what you're striving for produces a kind of inspiring drive. In this second act of your life, which is not merely your entrepreneurial life, there is an opportunity, Jason, to really look back at these deeper questions and saying, I don't know what your wife's first name is, but to ask her, Allie, Allie, how do we craft the next iteration of our family together? What are your children's names? Tyler and Shana. A boy and a girl? A boy and a girl. Older boy, younger girl. How old? Five and a half and two and a half. What is it that you want to teach them about work? Right. It feels to me that the grueling experience that you went through with RunKeeper taught you that that way isn't enough, that there's another way. And what's the opportunity at midlife, the opportunity into this second act is to pull up the archetypes, to pull up the, the parts of you that are defining you and examine them. You know? I think it's great that you see yourself as needing to inspire joy in the people around you at your work. But if you really want to be effective in inspiring that joy around other people, you have to allow yourself to inspire the joy within yourself. Because we learn more, just like our children learn more, from watching than being told. Does this make sense for you? It does. And so, you know, the first go around was, I mean, these were the internalized mission statements. I really want to be an entrepreneur because I don't want to be like dad and work for somebody else. I really want to compete. I really want to have this kind of exit and I really want to establish myself because that's what our 30s are about. And now we're expanding the list because you want those things. Now we're going to expand that list. I want to live my life in such a way that at the end of my 40s, I'm a man that I'm proud of myself. Does that resonate? Yeah, that, my nightmare is having great professional success and, and, and looking in the mirror and not being proud of, of who I see. Um, and and that, that goes both for uh, the way I do things professionally, but I, I, don't, I feel proud of, of the way I've done things professionally and feel confident that I'll continue to operate with integrity and, and fairness in, 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 and, and generosity. Um, it's more of making sure that, I mean, I think it was Fred Wilson blogged a, a long time ago about the potter not getting consumed by the kiln. Uh, uh, excuse but, me. 
That oh, was that you? Me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He probably blogged about it quoting you. He, he did. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but but that that really resonates with me because I almost got consumed by the by the killing. I mean, I I really the, the line between the company and my identity were was was right. very very blurred. And and granted, we we ended up we had a great outcome and it changed my life and, and was great for the team and was great for our city and, and things like that. But it, we threaded a needle and it didn't need to be that way. And, and I, I wonder what if it hadn't been that way and what would my psychology be now? And that, that's troubling. Yeah. So, so um, you reference the, the, the story of the potter, which I talk about in a blog post called Disappearing into the Fire. And it's about being lost and consumed in the work. When I originally started writing about that, uh, people responded by saying, oh, one way or the other is bad. That is giving yourself entirely over to the fire and creating the exquisite glaze. And you have to read the blog post to know what that means. That's bad. Well, not working really hard and not really driving for fulfillment. Well, that's bad. And the problem of the potter the conundrum here is that you actually need both. And I think you instinctively feel this. You know that it's actually what mom was teaching you, which is that it's actually a balance. That the answer to the conundrum of fulfillment or happiness is actually integration. It's how do I integrate joy in a truly meaningful way so that I can, I don't, walk into the fire consumed by my unconscious motivations. But if I'm going to say to myself, the way I can in a, in, in a team sport competition, okay, we're going to go in there and we're going to win. Well, at least I'm internalizing that as a motivation. I'm not pretending on the one hand that we're going in there just for the joy of the game when really unconsciously I'm driven by my desire to win. Because that turns me into a maniacal leader. So sometimes you inspire the team by invoking the competitive spirit, and sometimes you inspire the team by invoking joy. Just like you do for yourself. Do you think some of them... Uh, one worry I have is that the some of the most accomplished people, the role models, the luminaries that everybody talks about over the generations of tech maybe didn't integrate those two things and were tortured souls. Yes, that is true. Not just tortured souls, but torturing souls. Yeah. Okay, but your concern is that, they've lo- that if they're not tortured, then they've lost their edge. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay, all right. So let's talk about edge for a moment, okay? What's the goal? The goal professionally or overall? What's the goal for you, for me, for everybody? What's our goal? To be happy without losing my edge. Why do you need your edge to be happy? That's an interesting one. I don't know. I don't know necessarily where the ambition comes from. So Um, the goal is to be happy. The fear is that if I lose my edge, I won't be happy. Or maybe it's I won't be fulfilled. I won't be fulfilled. 
because remember fulfillment in my definition right or wrong comes from achievement and impact who's the most successful business executive in the united states well i mean there's several of them but but certainly people like like mark zuckerberg or, or elon musk come to mind who would you rather be warren buffett or mark zuckerberg well, they're so different. Uh, yeah. Who would you rather be, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. But he, I mean, I feel like Warren and Bill, I mean, Mark knows better than I do, but I feel like they're mentors of his and role models. Uh, what is it about Warren and Bill that you admire? Is it their bank accounts? Uh, no. I, I mean, well, yes, uh, but, but it isn't just that. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of people, especially these days, that, that's coming to light that have significant wealth and whose focus seems to be on um, protecting and amplifying that wealth for themselves at the expense of, of, of everybody else uh, who, who doesn't have that kind of wealth. And, and both Bill and Warren and Mark, for that matter, seem to be of a different spirit where um, because they've had the privilege of, of significant wealth creation and the good fortune of significant wealth creation, they have a duty to, um, to harness it f- for good for others. Um, and they, I, I really, we, we don't know their internal motivations. We can only surmise from the outside, but I will tell you that uh, um, what I see Bill Gates and Warren Buffett doing doesn't seem to be motivated by a guilty sense of duty or obligation. It seems to be motivated by the joy of having purpose. By the joy of having a focused approach to philanthropy, which wasn't always the case earlier in their careers. It was a more focused approach to competitiveness. But as they have matured, and as I've matured, I'm now in my 50s, I will tell you that there's a tremendous amount of joy in internalizing a sense of enough, but turning my attention to purpose and focus. Figuring out the integration point, that's for each of us to figure out, because yours is different than mine but I would call your attention to some of the mythology that's associated with success. My question of success was actually a trick question because it was designed to trip you up into thinking about the most financially wealthy people in the world or in the United States. But you didn't fall for it because you immediately went into, well, wait a minute, there's more than that. And the question for yeah, but, you, but 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 you you brought up Bill Gates and Warren yeah. Buffett and Mark Zuckerberg. You didn't bring up the Koch brothers or or yeah. others that have wealth that have very different philosophies. Yeah. Purposefully, yeah. and the reason I brought them up, well, first of all, because they're icons in the tech industry, mm-hmm. but also I didn't bring up Larry Ellison or Steve Jobs. Right. Right. The, the, what I would encourage you to do, what's required to solve the problem of the potter and the conundrum implicit is to actually go inward and decide for yourself what that integration point is. What is that core purpose? See, the people who are most trapped 
regardless of how much money that they have, the people who are most trapped are the people who are disconnected from their internal motivations. And they're using external yardsticks to judge their self-worth. And then they're trapped. I look at those three, and Zuckerberg may be getting to this point. I don't really know. I hope he does, because it's quite liberating. I don't think Warren Buffett or Bill Gates cares anymore what people think. They stay true to their own internal integrity, their own internal barometers. They care to the point that people are responsive to their efforts to do well. Bill probably cares what Melinda and his children think, but not the sort of nameless, faceless masses anymore. Uh, may I ask a question? Sure. So have, uh, given how, as the internet makes the world smaller and surfaces what's going on in the world more globally all the time, uh, big and small, uh, it, it's becoming, I feel guilty, feeling joy, knowing how many people are suffering. Um, and, and there's a constant news stream of suffering of all different kinds constantly being um, uh, paraded across our screens and in our ears and uh, et cetera. Uh, I feel like I can't sleep if I'm not working towards helping others to suffer less. Uh, and I feel guilty for not suffering. So, so I, I get, and that's your not coming from a place of joy. Your yeah. internal happiness has no bearing on whether or not those suffering people suffer more or less. Mm-hmm. So your guilt actually doesn't help them. Your commitment to living a life of purpose and meaning might lead you to take actions that alleviate some of their suffering. And you have to find a way through that challenge. So I'm going to leave you with uh, a suggested book to read. I've got my pen ready. Good. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I think you'll find it um, incredibly fascinating. Well, I know we didn't resolve all of the issues here, but I think we raised some important issues here and maybe hopefully make clearer what some of the issues are. So. Yeah, this is definitely some, some great food for, food for thought uh, and things to, to continue to, to wrestle with, but, but getting them surfaced, I think, is a, is a big first step. Yeah. yeah, you're at an interesting inflection point in your life, and it, this is the time to be asking those questions. So. Thank you so much for for uh, coming on the show and and uh, you know taking the time to make this happen. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io/podcast to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations, and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the rest.
My name is Tracy Lawrence, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Choose. I think that there is no better way to spend your money if you want to enhance your leadership. David Mandel, the CEO and founder of Pivot Desk. Nothing helps your business's chance for success as well as your personal chance for success as much as the bootcamp experience does. My name is Shar Genvier. It was a really amazing experience. Well, I'm Rory Sterling. I'm a founding partner here at BGF Ventures. We're based in London and we're a £200 million early stage venture fund. I would recommend uh, Reboot Bootcamp, hands down. I, if you're on the edge and thinking about it, I would just do it. You'll, you won't regret it for a second. Here at Reboot, we believe you already have the capability to withstand the storms of your life and work. You simply need to access it. That's why we've created Bootcamp. At Bootcamp, you'll immerse yourself in the complexity and vulnerability of being a leader and founder with up to 15 other smart and courageous people. You'll find the practical skills, radical self-inquiry, shared experiences not only enhance your leadership and resiliency, but may change your life. To learn more and apply for upcoming bootcamps, visit reboot.io bootcamps.